Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Uh, open your Bibles up. Genesis 17 is where we are. Genesis, Genesis 17. And uh, we're in this series called A People of Faith, if you're just joining in with us. And what we've been learning is that out of this messed up world, God is redeeming a people for himself that he wants to live by faith in him. He wants his people to live by trusting in him alone. And so we're going to read Genesis 17, the first 14 verses to get into the story. And then um, I'm going to pray. I want you guys to pray with me today. And uh, then we'll get to work, okay? So here we are, Genesis 17. I'm going to start in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I might make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from a foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought... Uh, bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Amen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. You are a speaking God and you have spoken before and you are still speaking to us today spirit lead me where my trust is without border let me walk upon the water wherever you would call me thank you God for what you're doing in this series Lord I believe that you are calling us to be a people of faith and I believe you're calling Crossway as a church to be people that trust you and I believe that you are answering prayers, um, but you want us to be ready for those answers. I, I believe, God, that you're uh, taking us into a new uh, place, 
new chapter in our life and that you're using this series to prepare us to actually make us a people that are not afraid of where you're going to lead us but a people that trust you and live by faith in God so God I pray that you'd help us hear this message today not just as individuals but just as a people as a whole church and that we would be willing to go where you want us to go and do what you want us to do and trust you Lord would you do that now would you do that in us this week? We love you, and we thank you for all the, all the prayers that you've already answered and that you are answering even now. We're so thankful. Lord, help me speak today. I need your help. Um, help me speak with power, with honesty, and love. That would be helpful. In Jesus' good name, we love you so much, God. Amen. Well, today we are coming to the aftermath of Abram's failure to live by faith in God. That's what we talked about last week if you've been uh, in the series with us. He failed to trust God, and this is the aftermath of that. He is experiencing the spiritual equivalent of a hangover, okay? That's where we are today. For those of you who are super holy Christians and have no idea what I am talking about, a hangover is the painful consequences that lingers in your body after you consume too much alcohol. Interestingly enough, you can get the same effect from a deep sea fishing trip. Um, so, but what my point is that a hangover is when you realize that what you thought was a good idea was really a major lapse of reason. And you feel so awful afterwards you wish you were dead. I'm talking about a hangover, not a fishing trip. Uh, now, that was a good trip. Uh, now, now uh, here's what I'm saying. We may not know what that physically feels like, okay, to have a hangover. But we've all felt that way spiritually after we have failed to trust God. You guys know what I'm talking about? We've all encountered that, and uh, I want us to be honest, honest about that. We blew up in rage. We said things that we shouldn't have said. We visited a website we shouldn't have been looking at. We lied to keep our job instead of taking responsibility because in the moment, it felt like the right thing to do. In the moment, we thought, this is a good thing to do. This will help me. But now it's the morning after, and we feel like a fake because we failed when it counted. In our failure, our faith in God's promises can feel lifeless, like it's dead. Our faith can feel seemingly worthless, seemingly pointless to hold on to after what we did, after what we said or thought. In those moments, brothers and sisters, it's in those moments of spiritual hangover that we need God to revive our faith in his covenant since only God can do such a thing. Are you guys hearing me? I want to say that again. That's really important for you guys to hear. It's in those moments of spiritual hangover that we need God to revive our faith in his covenant because only God can do such a thing. And that's what I want to talk about today. If you don't hear anything I say, that is what you need to hear this morning. What we find in Genesis 17 is that God revives our faith through renaming 
reconfirming, and rebranding. And we're going to step through each one of those this morning. First of all, God revives our faith by renaming us. He revives our faith in Him by renaming us. It's been 13 years since Abraham failed to keep his covenant with God. It starts out he was 99 years old. Right? 13 years. Think about that. 13 years of living with family rivalry and discord and bitterness. Remember what was going on in that family? 13 years. All because he failed to trust God. That one moment changed his life. At, at, at all of this at this time, you got to remember, he has not heard from God. What do you think he's feeling? That's a long and difficult silence, amen? The text does not tell us uh, for sure, but I think it's safe we can assume, considering the situation that Abram is, is thinking that the covenant is over. 13 years. This is not the, just the morning after. He's got to be thinking the covenant's over. This relationship's over. That is if he even remembers making the covenant at this point. His faith in God is stretched thin to the point of breaking. It was 13 years ago that Almighty God declared his faith as righteousness. Remember that? God said that Abram was in a right relationship. He was in a covenant relationship with God, not because of any good deeds that he did, but because he merely trusted God with his life alone. And no sooner had God declared that Abram was saved by trusting him that, than Abram has a major lapse of trusting in God. The only thing that brought him into a saving relationship with God had weakened. You guys get that? The only thing that brings him into the saving relationship has faltered. Abram has to be asking the question, what good is it to continue trusting God now? I mean, my, my trust is obviously small, it's weak, it's on life support. This may be you today. Is this you today? This may be why God brought you here today. You started out following the Lord. You started out strong in your trust. You started out strong and believing in Him. And you are following Him. I'm with you, God. I heard you call me. I'm going. Let's go. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll love whoever you want me to love. And you started strong. And then you hit a snag. You succumb maybe to a temptation. You chose to trust yourself instead of God. And now you are tasting the bitter fruit of that sinful choice right now. Maybe you are asking, what good does it do to continue trusting God now when my faith in Him is obviously so weak, so lifeless? You need your faith revived by God. God is the only one, family, God's the only one that can revive our faith in God. Do you know that? You can't go anywhere else for that. But you know what the good news is? Our God is a God who wants to revive your faith and my faith in Him when we falter. He wants to do that. He is willing. 
Look at what he does for Abram. Let's go back to verses 4 through 5. God says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God declares in no uncertain terms that the covenant is still on. It's still in effect. Abram is most certainly still in a relationship with the living God. My covenant is with you. And to drive the point home, God renames Abram, which means exalted father, by the way, to the name Abraham, which means father of multitudes, the man who has one son, (laughs) and barely that. God removes the name Abram's daddy gave him. The father, that daddy that his God commanded him to leave behind. And he gives him a new name. God is acting like Abraham's father. In exercising authority over Abraham in this way, he is taking him in into his house, so to speak. God is putting his name, his mark on Abraham to let him know and everyone else that's going to address him later in life know that he belongs to God and he's going to be the father of all of God's people. Here's your glass of water, father of a multitude. Nice to meet you, father of a multitude. That's what that name means. Every single time someone says his name, that's what he's getting reminded of. Every day day after day. Abraham fails to trust God, and God's response is, you are mine, and I am yours. That should make you smile. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. We would expect something different, don't we? We would expect the curse of the covenant to come for this major failure. We would expect Abraham to get what he deserves, cut off from God. He's acting like anything besides an exalted father at this point in his life. Thirteen years. Yet God responds by renaming him and firming up that relationship. Here's what Old Testament scholar Victor Hamilton says about the renaming of Abraham. He says, One significance of the patriarch's new name is that it universalizes Abraham's experience with God. His new name identifies him as the father of the faithful. Regardless of what their particular ethnic group that they represent, he is the father of many nations. John the Apostle puts it this way. In John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of a man, but of God. What God did for Abraham, God has done for all who trust in Christ. God has given us a new name to signify that we are in a covenant relationship with him. And here's the new name. Here's the new name that you and I get. Child of God. Son of God. 
daughter of God. We're children of God. That's your new name. That's my new name. And here's why that strengthens and revives our weak faith. It's not a name that we give ourselves. Amen? That is a name that God has bestowed upon us. And it carries with it, because of that fact, it carries authority with it, which is higher than any other authority. It doesn't matter what your parents call you. It doesn't matter what your parents called you. It doesn't matter what your friends called you, good or bad, rock star or loser, head of the captain of the team or geek. It doesn't matter what your friends called you. It doesn't matter what your ex-wife calls you. It matters what God calls you. It matters what El Shaddai calls you. What he calls you is what you are. He has renamed us to make a statement that God's covenant is stronger than your rebellion. Secondly, God revives our faith by reconfirming his word to us. He he reconfirms his word to us. Let's look at verse 6 through 8. This is God speaking. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, your offspring after you, throughout their generation from an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Why another repeat of the promises of God to Abraham here? Why is he doing this? God is reconfirming to Abraham that that he hasn't altered anything in the covenant, even though Abraham has failed to keep the covenant. Because of Abraham's failure, we expect God to say, okay, deal's off. We made a deal. You broke the deal. We took vows, and you broke the vows. Now we're getting a divorce. That's how this works. And you're cut off. You're going to get the curse of the covenant. That's what we would expect to happen when we make vows to each other, right? And he doesn't keep that. But instead, God goes back over the vows. And in fact, he intensifies them. Did you notice that? They get fuller and more detailed and richer. This is incredible, guys. Look at all the I wills just in this passage. There are five I wills in just three verses alone. God says he will establish the covenant. That word establish, it means to to make firm, vigorous. Right? He already made it before. He said, I'm going to fortify that covenant. 13 years is a long time. Abraham may have forgotten what God promised, but God didn't forget what God promised. And God is reconfirming that fact by saying what he has always said. He's saying what he always said. He is saying what he's always said. Because God does not change. God and his word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Guys, there is something about hearing God reconfirm his everlasting 
unchanging, unbreaking word to us over and over and over. Thank God he sounds like a broken record. Thank God. It strengthens our lifeless, thinned out, breaked out faith. It's saying the same thing again and again. No, I'm still not changing. Look at Psalm 19. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. I like gold, don't you? I like having money in my bank account. He says, more to be desired, more to be desired than that. Even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Guys, do you know how blessed we are to have God's word in our hand and on our phone? Do you know how blessed we are to have access to this? Very blessed. Very blessed. People died so that we could have the scriptures in our own language instead of Latin. People like William Tyndale were literally burned at the stake so that you and I could have direct access to God's wonderful word so that we could read it in our own homes and in English if we want to read it in English. It's amazing, guys. Now, why would people like a Tyndall, why would they do this if they believed and they knew that it would cost them their life? It's because they actually believed that God's word revives the soul. It's that important. It's that powerful. Is your trust in God weak and lifeless? Then feed it nourishment. Feed it nourishment. Feed it food. The word of God is the food of faith. If we're going to be a people, hey, if we're going to actually be a people that lives by faith, like for real, and not just talk about it, you know what? We've got to be people of the book. Did you hear what I'm saying? If we're actually going to be people that live by faith, then we have got to be people of the book. Verse 3. Or I should say point 3. God revives our faith by rebranding us. God revives our faith by branding us. Let's look at verses uh, 9 to 12 here now. And God said to Abraham, As for you, So this is covenant talk. As for me, as for you. I will this, you will this, right? This is covenant language. As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your 
offspring. Now, God tells Abraham to be circumcised and to circumcise all the males that are in his household. This is to be a sign of the covenant relationship that he and God are in together. And by the way, God's commanding him to do something that will bless him. Did you notice that? Have you ever noticed when you're reading through Genesis, this could be a good study to do. God's commandments, especially in Genesis, God's commandments sound a lot like blessings. And God's blessings sound an awful lot like commandments. Just, that's for later. But think about that. Here's what's very interesting about God's command to be circumcised. It wasn't something that was unique to the Hebrews. Did you know that? It wasn't. Many nations, including many of Israel's neighbors, they did this. Egypt was one of them. I think the Philistines was one of the notable exceptions of this. You know, David, he says about this uncircumcised Philistine, but many of their neighbors in Canaan did this. It wasn't unique. They did it differently, though. They did it as a sign for entering into manhood. Or they might do it for a sign of entering into marriage. Not only that, but God intentionally opens up this sign to all ethnic groups in verse 12. This is for all males that are in the house of Abraham. So circumcision wasn't a sign of ethnicity. And it wasn't a sign of nationality. The Abraham, he's a nomad. It's not a nation, right? So what was this? If it's not a sign of ethnicity, it's not a sign of nationality, what is it a sign of? It's a spiritual sign. God took something that other nations did, and he rebranded it for his meaning, for his purposes. I want to take what the world does, and I'm going to confiscate that. Kind of like the rainbow in the sky. There are all kinds of rainbows, right? He says, but I'm going to say that's a sign for you now, right? Circumcision became a sign that someone was already in a covenant relationship with God by faith, just like Abraham. Check this out. Romans 4 uh, helps us understand this. Verse 3, this is great. This, Paul says this, For what does Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him righteousness. That's Genesis 15. Drop down to verse 9. Is this blessing then, is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had already had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteous, righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So here, that was a lot of circumcised, I know. So let me break this down, all right? So the guys are getting nervous, I know. Let me, let me just explain this a little bit, all right? God put his mark, his brand, if you will, all right, on Abraham and opened it up to all in his household, regardless of their ethnicity. 
God is a very inclusive God. Why did he do this? It says here that it was to remind him in a way that he could not miss every day of his life that he belonged to God. He belonged to God. Circumcision symbolized two interrelated meanings. It's a sign and a seal. It even uses those words. It's a sign for a seal, okay? It's a sign in his body that pointed Abraham and his descendants to remember God has sworn an oath to him, right? The cutting of the circumcision was a miniature version of the cutting of that covenant ceremony in Genesis 15. Remember, he literally cut a covenant with him? This is like a miniature version of that with him. Secondly, it was a seal. It was God's brand. It was God's mark on him and his descendants made in such a way that he couldn't miss it every day of his life. He really was counted in a right relationship with God, regardless of how he felt that day. Just didn't matter how holy he felt. And that's to remind him. Just because he didn't have perfect faith in God doesn't mean he didn't have true faith in God. That's really important to remember, for all of us to remember that. Every day he's reminded, oh yeah, I belong to God. That's my identity. I forgot that yesterday. I'm reminded today. I belong to God. Why did God do this for him? To revive his weak faith. To fortify and strengthen his trust in God. But Romans tells us that it wasn't just for him, but it was to strengthen our faith, our trust in God as well. How merciful is God that he would do this? We need to have our faith strengthened from time to time just by the fact that we're human. We get tired. We forget. But the fact that we're sinful human that fail our relationship with God means we really need to have God remind us and strengthen our faith in Him. And you know what? God has provided those signs for us to strengthen our faith. This is a wonderful, merciful God we have. Christ has given us two signs that revive our trust in the God of the covenant. And they, res- they correspond with that. The Lord's Supper, which corresponds with the Passover meal, and baptism, which corresponds with circumcision. We participate in them because they are blessings for us. They help us. They do not create faith in us, but they strengthen the faith in God that's present. But it's been tested. It's been broke down. There's a wonderful gifts from the Lord to his people, guys. Every time we participate in communion or every time we participate in baptism, we are reminding one another, you are in a covenant with God. We're acting out the covenant. We're acting that out, guys, physically, visibly. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you failed to trust in God like you promised. But God will not fail you. That's what we're doing. He's sworn an oath to you and to death. We're acting it out. That is why we need to do these things and practice these things. They're blessings for us. And we do them together in community. Because it's for the covenant community. Not only that, 
it gets better. God has put his brand on us to strengthen our lifeless faith. Not through a physical circumcision, thank God for that, but through a spiritual circumcision, namely the Holy Spirit. This is why we're Trinitarian in our faith. Look at Ephesians 4.30. This is really exciting stuff, guys. Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were, what's that word? Sealed. For the day of redemption. The mark that someone belongs to God is that the Spirit lives inside of them. A Spirit-filled person actually wants a relationship with God. And they are grieved when they violate that relationship with Him. That person actually looks different all over. Not just in one place, but all over their life. They actually look different. The fact that our desires are directed, our desires are altered by Christ's Spirit dwelling in the control center of our life is the ultimate seal that we are His. It's the ultimate brand, it's the ultimate mark on our life that we indeed do belong to God. It's not natural to want to please God, right? It's not natural to want to love God, is it? It's supernatural. Something happened to change us to want to have those desires. It's supernatural. That's being filled with the Spirit. To put it in negatively, the fact that we are grieved to our very core when we don't live in step with Christ's Spirit is also the mark that we actually are in a covenant relationship with Him. It's the brand, it's the seal that God has put on us so that we can know that we are indeed His. We're actually in a relationship with Him. People who are not in the covenant relationship with God, they aren't bothered with their sin. Do you know that? Like they don't, they don't have temptation, they just do. They just do what they want. Right? I think I'll do that, I'll go do it. There is no temptation. They can sin all day long and get nine hours of sleep, no problem. You understand what I'm saying? But when we are grieved over the fact that we're not living in covenant relationship with Christ, not that we got caught for breaking it, that's what non-believers do. I got caught, I'm going to jail. They're sorry about going to jail. They're not sorry about breaking the law. Because the law is getting in their way of having a good time. And you used to be that person. I used to be that person, right? So we're not talking about that kind of repentance. Okay? The fact that you're grieved to the heart, that you are not living in step with this relationship with Christ, not that you got caught, but that you actually wanted to step out. You actually wanted to violate that relationship, and you thought it'd be fun doing it. You wanted to do it. That's what grieves you? That's actually a sign that you're in the covenant with Christ. It's a sign that you're actually truly His. Because otherwise, you just go to sleep and get a great night's sleep. Through the Holy Spirit, we are assured that we indeed belong to God, whether we experience the Spirit negatively or positively. This brand, this mark of the Holy Spirit is something we experience every day of our life. Why? So that we couldn't miss it. 
every time you make a decision. Isn't God awesome? Isn't this a great God we have? And the Spirit is a sign given by God to revive our faith in God. I love you guys. I want to pray. God, revive faith today. Revive our trust today. I pray, God, that you would help us first and foremost. Help us, help us be a people. Help us be a church where it is safe to say, you know what, I don't trust God. I don't want to go there. I see where he's taking me, and I don't, I'm scared. Or I just don't like it, and it's because I don't trust God. So God, will you just show us in each of us in our hearts where we're saying that? I just, I just don't trust you, and I'm sorry. And God, I pray that um, for those of us that we have failed to trust God, we did have that lapse. You'd, you'd revive our faith in you. That your covenant does not fail, even though when we fail your covenant. You've got that mark. You've got that brand on us. God, remind us through the signs that you have given us. As we participate, we act out that covenant that it would increase our trust in you and, and through the Holy Spirit every day. Help us be a church that lives by trusting the Lord and submitting ourselves to the Lord and, and, and putting our hands up and saying, I give up. Take me out to the deep waters, God. Take me out to those places I hadn't been before. We hadn't been there before. Take me to those places where, yeah, maybe I've been there before and it didn't go so well. I don't trust you. But you would say, you would change us and say, I'm going to trust you this time. Because you're a God who keeps covenant. You are El Shaddai. So Lord, just continue doing your deep work. Thank you for continuing to answer our prayers. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.